church. And so we will pray for them and for those who are entrusted with watching over them and guiding their young hearts. We continue on in our series this morning, Where is God? And this morning we're going to be asking to the question, and with the Lord's help, looking at a couple of answers of uh, maybe where is God when we are afraid? So if you have a Bible in front of you or however you would read the Scriptures, I really do encourage you to hold it in your hands or hold it in front of you. Um, But of course you can use the screen if you'd wish. But once we get done reading, the, the verses go away and the next thing goes up on the screen. So have the words in front of you somehow so that you can refer, refer back to them as we work through the message this morning. We're going to be reading from the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. This is going to be our scripture this morning. So 2 Kings chapter 6 verses 8 through 23. 2 Kings chapter 6 verses 8 through 23. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel. None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who's in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he's in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there, and they went by night and surrounded the city. And the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning. An army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As the enemy came toward him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, strike this army with blindness. So he struck them with blindness, as Elijah had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they looked. And there they were, inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elisha, Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? Do not kill them. Captured with your own sword or bow, set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away. And they returned to their master. And so the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. There's three pictures on the screen of what it must have been like to live in Dothan. If we could go to the first one, this uh, is an archaeological discovery that they're making. It is believed to be in the area of Dothan, although I can't say for certainty this is the exact place where the story happened. You can see on the hills in the background some of what they must have observed. We go to the next one, and another picture from a different area of as they looked out from where they were, The hills and mountains in the background were full of the Lord's angels and chariots. 
And one more. From a different perspective, all the way around what it must have been like to live in a place somewhere like that for this story gives you a little more perspective of what's going on as we look at this passage together. There's a repeated theme in this passage and in the scriptures at large of, of a kind of blindness that many people have. Many people in the Bible were blind to the, what Jesus was doing. The disciples in some ways were blind to the fact that he really was going to be the Messiah who died for them. And in this passage, there's a couple different mentions of a kind of blindness that strikes sometimes even the people of God in the middle of a difficult or dark moment. And we read the story of Elisha's servant. Um, we believe his name is Gehazi, if I'm pronouncing that right. And he is struck with a kind of blindness that Elisha didn't struggle with. And of course, we know how the story goes. But blindness is something that we all uh, face in different times. If you've ever been in hiking in a cave alone without a flashlight, or maybe your flashlight was working when you went in and before you got out, the flashlight quit, and you have no idea where you are and you have pretty much no idea how to get out, you know that kind of fear that comes with the fact that you may wander around in that cave forever and never make it out. You know that twinge that you feel when you get the call from the doctor and he says, we found something on your liver or your lung or your heart that doesn't belong there. And where your heart and mind go in that moment is called fear. Fear of what may happen. Fear of, fear of what we don't know. Fear of what may come next. When Samuel was four years old, I did something I never got to do. I got to take him to the doctor's office. Um, I worked 10, 12 hours a day and then pastored uh, at the rest of the time, and so mom took him to everything. But I don't, I, she must have been sick this day because there was dad with Sam at the, at the eye doctor and just having a normal checkup, and she had Sam put his uh, hand over one of his eyes and read the chart, you know how it goes. Uh, have, has any of you memorized that chart so you always know what it says? I always thought that would be a really good idea, and then you would never have a problem, but no one raised their hand, so we haven't been that disciplined yet. So he put his hand over his one eye and, and read pretty good, three or four lines seemed to be a problem. And then, and then when he, as soon as he covered up his over eye, he started to fall over. And the doctor looked at me and said that there's, there's something going on there. We need him to see a specialist. And they uh, discovered that he was almost legally blind in that eye. It was like 22,000 was his vision. And uh, Samuel put in a lot of hard work over the next year wearing a patch most of the day, and now his vision with glasses is 20-20. But it was just that initial reaction. He couldn't help it. There's nothing he could do about it. But when, when his vision was blocked, he stumbled. And you see that stumbling in, in the life of Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, when he goes and his his vision is blocked to what's really happening. What Elisha sees, the man of faith sees, he fears. And I got to thinking this morning in my own life and for many of our, our Christian experiences as we walk our journey with God, that there may be times where we're struck with a kind of blindness that affects our faith, that affects our perceptions, that affects our reactions to life and to God, and so I just want to kind of have a heart-to-heart -heart this morning about this idea of blindness in our own life. And we're going to look at uh, four different ideas that I see in this passage and how we can kind of work through 
those things as we talk about how the people in the Bible passage work through them, and then we can maybe um, have a little bit more grace as we walk through this journey together. And when when the when the when the visors come down, or when the when the darkness kind of sets in, the Lord. Did you notice in that passage, it didn't say that the servant of God opened his eyes, but the Lord opened his eyes? I just noticed that this morning. I didn't even have that ready in the message, and and I was reading it in the office, and I was like, wait a minute, how did I miss that? It didn't that he opened his eyes and the prayer was answered. It was that God did something for him that he was unable to do for himself. I was like, that has to be the key to the whole thing. But we'll get to more of that later on. So this morning we want to look at, for a couple of minutes, the predicament that we find in this story, and we could write our own story into this. For those of us here this morning who are fighting, who are troubled, who are struggling, write your own story into this predicament, and, 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 and they come together in the story of how Scripture interacts with our story, and our story interacts with Scripture. But there's this evil king out there who has it out for Israel. Now, he's not attacking the entire country at large. He's kind of sending raiding parties here and raiding parties there. And he he really, at this point, is just a really nasty thorn in the flesh. And they're tired of it. And God apparently is tired of it because wherever he tries to attack, the guy says, hey, Elisha, I know where they're going. You let the king know and it's all gonna be all right. Hey, Elisha, we got a plan here and it's all under under control and, and things are gonna be all right. But you got to tell the king not to go that direction, not to do it this way. And he listened and he followed and he did exactly as he was told. So the king gets angry. He's like, there's got to be a traitor in the room. Someone in my camp is letting them know where I'm going and that's, the, that's how they know my plans. Like, no, that's not how it works. Elisha must be sneaking into your bedchamber at night. <laughs> Because he hears, even in your secret place where no one should be allowed to enter, where no one should be know anything that's going on, he hears it. And the king's upset, and it, it's funny that he would say these next words, but like he could chase Elisha down if God wanted him to get caught, but he's like, find out where he is, and we're going to go get him. And I don't know how you process that part of the story, but for me, it was like, you know, the devil knows right where we are. And God offers his grace and he offers his mercy and he offers his love to us as a way for us to work through and to journey through the difficulties that all of us are gonna face or maybe facing right now, God hand in hand. But the devil says, oh no, that's not the way it's gonna work. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna find you out. I'm gonna ruin you. You know the verses in the Bible that says the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking who he may devour? And he does that for each and every one of us and he's just waiting for that moment where we're unprotected, waiting for that moment where we're exhausted, waiting for that moment where we just feel like there's no hope or going on and he pulls down the darkness in our heart. He, he covers our eyes to the grace and to the presence of God and we can be like this servant in this story who wakes up the next morning and he looks out into the hills all around the city. You saw that tell, you saw that hill. All around them in every way, there was no way of escape. And he's scared. 
Oh, my Lord servant, what are we going to do? When you wake up in the morning and you see what you're going to face, do you ever say, what am I going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to handle this? There's no way that we can solve this illness on our own. There's no way we can fix this problem on our own. I can't heal this relationship on my own. What are we going to do? And the reason I know this story fits in the sermon is because of what Elisha says next. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do you know that's one of the most repeated small phrases in the Bible? Over and over and over again, God's children, when faced with the uncertainty and the unreal and the unbelievable and the impossible and the shocking and the horrifying and the sacred and the holy, over and over again are told by God and his messengers not to be afraid. The reason that I read that passage so many times is because we are afraid. It's obviously a natural human emotion to be faced with that kind of situation in your life and in mine and to be scared out of our wits, to not know what we're going to do and not know how we're going to handle it and not see the answer right now and not know how the answer is going to come. We all face that predicament in our own life, in our own way. But you see in the carrying out of this story, the second idea I want to talk about, that there's a, a perception issue. And all of us have it in one way or another, and we, we reach this kind of cataclysmic transformation of our perception when we, when we do what? When we cry out to God. So Gehazi did what each and every one of us would normally do. We look on our situation and we go, what are we going to do? Oh no, we're ruined. There's no way out. And there really was no way out. This is a massive army with technology and weapons that they did not have. The enemy had all the answers and had all the power and Gehazi believed that God's side didn't. But his perception was skewed by his fear. I'm so grateful that there's people in our lives that have walked down the troubling road of life enough that offer us a different perception, a different perspective than we have right now. Elisha didn't jump over Gehazi, his servant, and say, oh, you wicked, foolish, fearful man. He just simply cried out to God. God changed his view. Change his perception. Change the perspective that he has on the situation. Open his eyes, Lord, that he may see, was Elisha's prayer. Now, just practically speaking, Gehazi's eyes were already wide open, right? I mean, he didn't walk out onto the, to the courtyard of where they were staying, you know, the balcony of the hotel or whatever, 
and just you know, with his hands over his eyes, just picture this. It was all right before him. His eyes were open in the physical sense. But up until this point in the story, his spiritual eyes had not been opened in the spiritual sense. And I know that you and I have been there, and we all struggle with this because we're human, and that's just the way it's going to be until we're glorified in heaven one day. We see the facts. We feel the pain. We know that we're in the middle of it, and it feels maybe that we're surrounded by it, and there is not an answer in this world that we can think of or read about or find anywhere that will fix the problem, that will deliver us in a moment. That's our perception. That's our perspective that we all have and we all come to. But Elisha does what we all should do in this moment, and it's not go grab a beer. It's not smoke a joint. It's he prayed. It might be another sermon altogether as to all the reasons why Elisha already saw what Gehazi didn't. But the fact of the matter is, he saw what was really going on, and Gehazi at this point has not. I don't think it should be missed, the importance of people in our life who have a different perception than we do, who see through a stronger lens of faith than we're able to see through right now. I don't know if Gehazi would have been on that hotel balcony alone if he ever would have seen what he ended up seeing. And so we should miss the fact that when we feel like we're hopeless, we need to find someone around us who has hope, who has a different perspective, who can pray for us that God would open our own spiritual eyes and hearts to what's really before us. Elisha was really gracious. He could have said a lot of things. I mean, he could have said, you know, God, you and I will see what's out there. What's wrong with him? <laughs> I mean, the, the glory and the light, and you know those hosts of the angels weren't silent as they stood there in their masses of thousands or tens of thousands. He was so trapped by his own circumstances that he couldn't see, sense, or feel what was going on, what was really going on. And the battle for you and I is that we want to we feel it all before we believe it all. And the Lord needs to open our eyes. So Elisha prays. And he says, Lord, open his eyes so that he can really see. I think it's important for us to note that the army was still surrounding them. The story doesn't say that God opened Gehazi's eyes and the army disappeared. It doesn't say that Gehazi opened his eyes and the army was already in full retreat. They were still there, encamped around the city, 
But what he wasn't able to see is that the host of the angels of God were surrounding them. And that God had his entire journey, his entire life encircled with his glory and with his protection and with his power. I don't know if you've ever had one of those revealing moments in your life where you feel surrounded by the darkness, by your circumstances, and then suddenly realize that the God of hosts of heaven was more powerful than any force you'll ever face in your life. That the strength and the mercy and the grace of God is greater, as we sang this morning, than any sin, than any evil force in this world. God's no match for any of it. He's more powerful than any foe that we will ever face in our life. So I asked myself, Lord, so I've read this story before and what do I, what do I learn from this? What, what are, what's one thing that, that you can help me to just think through in the process? And I read somewhere in a book this week and I didn't mark it down so I don't remember which one it was, but it talked about this story and it says, God is teaching us. He was teaching Gehazi the, the servant in this story, to flex the muscles of our faith. And for me, that made sense. I've, um, three and a half weeks ago, started going to the gym. As often, every day, if I possibly can, and if I can't, then I regret it. And um, when I lived in Ohio, um, I worked construction every day, six days a week, and it was a really physical job, and, and being physically fit was just what I did because that was my job. Um, I have yet to find how my job pastoring First Friends Church requires me to be at the gym all day, every day. <laughs> I'm with you, or I'm in the office, or I'm visiting, or having a meeting, or at the hospital, and I usually don't find a weight set in the emergency room or in the operating room off to the side. And so I made a commitment a number of weeks ago to change my lifestyle. And I used to go to the gym 20 years ago. Gosh, I'm feeling old saying that. But I'm not going to let the darkness come in. I remember what I used to lift when I was in college. To the weight room, I'm just, I'm just going to give it a whirl. I couldn't even move it. I couldn't even move it. The bench press weight, I don't remember what it was, but I set it up to what the best I could remember, and it just did not move. So I took those weights off and I found something that I thought that I could work on and, and I started. And I've uh, been through weeks now and I've added more and more weight and I'm working harder and harder at that part of my life. And our faith journey isn't a life of works, but it is a life of being stretched and tested. Guys, he wasn't thrown out with the bathwater. He's not an embol. He's not a symbol in the Bible of a man who just lacked any kind of faith. Most scholars believe the way the language in the story is written, how he speaks of Elisha as the man of God, indicates that he's an, he's kind of what we would decide as a new Christian. He's kind of new at all of this faith and following kind of thing. And so, when you're a baby Christian and Life comes at you, it scares you to death. And we say, what are we going to do? 
And God says, I want to open your eyes. I want to stretch your faith. I want you to flex the muscles of your trust in me. I hope you have life that are praying for you that the Lord would open your eyes, that you would stretch the muscles of your faith. You know, one of the things that happens when we get afraid is we freeze, right? We freeze in our fear. And we don't feel like going anywhere except hiding or running. But that's not how the story goes with the men in this story. They, God leads them forward. On in their journey, they have to step out of this place of fear and, and tear out into the next step that God has called them to do. And so blindness comes back into the picture again. Elisha just prayed that someone's eyes would be opened, and now he's praying for a whole host of the army to be blinded. It's fascinating that this whole perception, this whole idea of our perspective and the vision that we have affects all that we do and the people around us in so many ways. So the army is stricken with blindness, and Elisha says, guys, you're in the wrong place. You got the wrong guy. Let me tell you where to go. And he takes him to Samaria, they want to kill the crowd, but they prepare a feast for who should be their enemy. The army that threatened all the regions around them was prepared this banquet in the center of enemy territory, and peace was brought to a whole region of people, at least for a time. So we see, fourthly this morning, the, the, the answers that God wants to give us in the middle of our fear or our trial. One of the things that we always need, I need to be reminded of is that, that God is watching the entire time. Sometimes life and trial and trouble just smack us out of nowhere. Where did that come from? God, why didn't you see that coming? Well, he did. He's always there and he's always watching and he's always guiding in our heart and in our life. God didn't leave Gehazi in that room alone. He had him there with a man who knew what he needed and helped him along the journey. God's in the middle of our Friendships, our brotherships and our sisterships in the middle of those relationships that are challenging us and encouraging us, praying for us and helping asking God to help us to see a different perspective. I don't really appreciate a friend who would come to me when I'm hurting and say, you do these five things and you'll be all better. One, because I know they're a liar. Two, I've already probably tried many of the things that they're recommending me to do. And three, I don't really want answers from them. I don't want a solution. I want the solution to go away. I want the solution to be found so the problem will go away. But what I really want to know is that they care about me and they see me in the middle of where I am. Precious is a friend who will look through the fog of your own faith to discern the, the depth of where you are and who you are and 
pray that the Lord would open your eyes to the grace that is available for you in the moments to come. So I believe that God is in our relationships and asking us for one to be that friend who looks past the circumstances that you might begin to see as the reason why they're in trouble in the first place. To look past the struggles that they have as they deal in their own heart with the lack of understanding of what to do and where to go next. To love them deeply enough to be involved in their life despite all of that. And the mess they make of themselves as they journey through it. To be the one in that moment of fear and aloneness and pray for them and pray with them that God would open their eyes to who he really is. I wonder if that's a lot of what happened in Gehazi's heart and mind in that moment. We don't know all that transpired there. But what I can see in this passage is Elisha's view of God. All-powerful, all-knowing, omnipresent, in charge. That's what Elisha saw, and that's what Elisha prayed that Gehazi would see. He didn't preach him a sermon. Pastors have to do that, sorry. He just said, I want you to see what I see. That really all it was. I want to share what I see, what I know about God with you. God, would you open their eyes to what I know in my own heart and life? Gehazi, of course, beheld the host of the angels and saw with his own eyes and felt with his own heart that God was in charge despite the fact that the army was still surrounding them. And God wants eyes. It might be a friend or it might be a sermon or a song or a Bible. That the Lord in our own heart and life, in our own moments of prayer and understanding would see God for who he is. That though we may feel surrounded, the host of God are everywhere. And that God wants to make us stronger. God wants to flex the muscles of our faith. God doesn't delight in in our sorrow. God doesn't sit up in heaven and say, I enjoy them hurting so much. I wouldn't serve a God like that, and I don't think you would either. But I believe God walks alongside of us, walks alongside of us and walks inside of us, loving, caring about us, and knowing that this next step, as painful as it is, is exactly the direction that he wants us to go. Or if we've been blinded in the past, this awakening of perception is the next part of our journey in flexing the muscles of our faith so that we are stronger for the people that he places us in front of. I've never read this story and caught this at the end, this feast for the enemies of God that comes about because the men of God had their eyes, and women of God, for us here this morning, had their eyes opened 
to all that God was. It's a cliche to say because you've heard so many pastors say it. You've heard it and you've thought it yourself. But it might just be that there's someone on your street or in your home or at your place of employment or at school or on the side of the road who needs their eyes opened to the love and the mercy of God. And the only person who can help them with that is you. As we journey with God and he opens our eyes to him, he opens our eyes to the needs of those around us. The natural inclination for these people with this enemy was to destroy them. Something happened in the pulse of this people for them to think of this very differently. It wasn't normally, what did God want Israel to do with their enemies? Remember? What did God do with with his enemies most of the time? Destroyed how many of them? All of them. Wiped them out. That is kind of a conundrum. Really, if we're honest with ourselves, to see this passage here and God saying, give them a feast. And we shouldn't miss the importance of what God is trying to say to you and I. Sometimes when we're afraid and hurting The world is our enemy. Even people in the church are out to get us. When God is trying to stir something in us, to churn our hearts and our minds, to bring this kind of revelatory experience in our own understanding of God, in the moments where we're hurting the most, to realize he loves us more than we've ever known. And God says, the world is going to change because of what I've done in you. I ask you to stand and we're going to close in a word of prayer. Lord, you've made us people of great emotion. Some of us may be less than others, but we all have our moments. And Lord, we, we fear that phone call from the doctor. We don't know if we can go home and face what's there. Or go to work and face the people that we work alongside. We don't want to open the mail Tuesday morning when it comes back. That number comes on the caller ID and we just don't even answer. Go down the list, Lord, of the battles in our life that surround us in so many ways. The Bible doesn't say, Lord, that you changed and became more than you ever were. The Bible says that the man who lacked faith, eyes were opened and then he beheld you as you had always been and you always will be.
Lord, it's so hard for us to feel emotionally that we're surrounded by you because we can't see you like Gehazi and Elisha did. Most of the time, you're, you don't come to us in visible form. It's this invisible Holy Spirit that speaks into our own heart. But Father, I pray for my own heart and for the hearts of everyone in this room that when it feels like we're surrounded by our circumstances, our perception and our perspective is skewed. I pray, Lord, that prayer that Elisha prayed, that our eyes would be open with this incredible knowledge that you have surrounded us and you always will. You're everywhere all at once, all of the time. And so much of the time, Lord, it is almost impossible for us to believe it. But Lord, I pray as we stand or as we sit here today that in our moment of need, if no one can be beside us to pray, that Jesus would pray it for us. That our eyes would be opened to the God who is everywhere. That our hearts would be aware and alert to the fact that God has more power than anything in our life. Whatever darkness we face, whatever problem there is, that's nothing compared to what God can do. Nothing is impossible with God. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to see you. Help us to see you as you really are. And Lord, we will worship you. We will praise you. We will share your love with those around us. And Father, as, as, as God's people are alerted and awakened and reminded and, and transformed with this idea that God is everywhere, and all-powerful, and surrounds us completely all of the time. May the muscles of our faith grow to the point where we can strengthen others with the feast of our faith. And Father, this will be your work in us. This will be your work in us. And we will give you the praise. And we will give you the honor. And we will give you the glory because you are worthy. And all God's people say, amen. May the Lord open our eyes as we journey with him, and may the Lord bless you today. Mm -hmm.